sometimes I have to tell Jim, it's like, hey, we're going to do something a little different. And, I, you know, I'm getting used to him changing things up. Because sometimes I'll say, hey, just bring a plethora of songs. Because I don't know what might happen. But, um, hey, before we get started tonight, I got several things on my heart. For one, next Thursday, we're going to get here earlier. We're going to start at 630 because it's the Phelan Family Fellowship. That means, if you're new, fairly new, we're going to start at 630. And don't eat before you get here because we're going to have food. And we're going to, all that will be provided back there. So we'll eat for the first half hour, 45 minutes, hour, however long it takes you guys to eat. And then we're going to come in here and we're going to bring all the kids. It's going to be a family night. And uh, usually, I don't know exactly what's going to happen except for certain things. Usually we have the kids worship up here and they do some kids songs and we do some regular worship. And... Um, we usually have something different going on. But this next time, um, most of you guys know Alex and Lindsay. They'll be leaving to England at the end of the month. And so I've asked them. Days. The end of the month, basically. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah, in 12 days, they'll be leaving us, deserting us, <laughs> saying vamboyaji to us. Um, but anyways, I've asked them to kind of share how the Lord has prepared them and, and did all these things to get them to England. And so they're going to be sharing uh, with us next week. So I'm excited about that. And then I've asked Alex to just lead us in communion right after that as a family. And so I'm excited for next week, um, just because it's going to be a family night. And they're always fun and they're different. And God is just always blessing our, our church family here. Another thing that's coming up tomorrow that you guys are going to be praying about, unless you have some high schoolers and even some J-hires. I know the junior hires don't get off until about four o'clock. But right after school at Serrano, the Christian club up there, the Alpha Omega Club, there's a ministry called Revival Tours. Um, and they were on campus on Tuesday, and they do all this, like, rap and spinning on the floor and <laughs> doing all this stuff with their mouth and stuff, bebopping or beboxing or something like that, they call it. Yes. And, um, and so anyways, uh, they're having a thing tomorrow night or tomorrow at, after 3, from 3 o'clock to about 5 o'clock. And so if you have teenagers, uh, take them. If you have J-hires, take them. If, if, however you can, get some kids up there, because it's, it's an outreach that the, that the Christian club is putting on. And so I am so excited um, for what's going to happen. And um, 3.30 to 5. At the pack. Oh, it's inside. Oh, I thought it was going to be outside. Okay, in the pack. So you want to be there. And, oh, I guess like the first 200 people that get there, this might draw some adults, um, out back is having some food there. So, yeah, so the first 200 people get some food, apparently. So I'm going to be like number one. <laughs> but anyways, be that as it may, be that as it may, be praying for them. And... Um, and so I'm excited about that. Huh? 3.30. 3.30. Yeah, 4.30 for you guys, for some of you guys. Anyways, be there at 3.30. Be praying for, be praying, pray that kids get there, okay? You guys are already all saved for the most part, I think, hopefully. Get, I know, after the, the J-Hires get out, take them up there. I don't care if they have no food. Get them over there for the message. 
anyways, be that as it may, um, so we got, we got those to, to, to pray about. Um, also, uh, let me see what else. The summer series. I'm so excited. Um, it's going to be in a, a beginning June, the first week of June, Thursday nights. We're going to start, um, we're going to take a break from the book of Acts and we're going to start um, the Sermon on the Mount. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is your homework. I want you guys to start reading Matthew 5, 6, and 7 several times before we even get there. Like that, when the teachers come up here to teach, you already are familiar with what's going to be getting shared somewhat. But these guys are amazing. I'm so stoked. We're going to have different speakers every week. And so it's going to be a 10-week series. And so we are so excited about that. And invite some friends and stuff. And um, So we've got that to pray about. And I know that there's some of you guys who are hurting. And so I want to have a little time of prayer. And maybe if, um, I know my wife, she jacked up her wrist the other day, so she needs prayer over there. Suzanne told me her thyroid's been acting up, so she needs prayer. And I know Sandy Denton over here is going to be having thyroid thyroid cancer uh, surgery next Friday. And so if there's anybody else that I don't know about, just kind of raise your hand. And the people, the people that are around you, Surround them. Tom? So, raise your hand. If I, I just mentioned the ones I knew about, but we have somebody back there. And those of you guys, go over there and just lay hands on them, and I'm just going to pray for everybody, okay? So, there's some people back there. There's Elena back there. I just felt like even while we were worshiping, one of the songs was, say, was saying that our Redeemer lives. Our Redeemer lives. And so I just want to be able to just call on the name of the Lord that God would touch and heal. Father in heaven, as we come before you, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, you know the situation in each of these people's lives. You know, Lord God, what their bodies are doing, what they're not doing. Lord, right now, Lord, we just beg of you, we just come to you in the name of Jesus, that you would reach out and touch, that you would minister, that you would lift up, Lord God, that by your mighty power um, and your outstretched hand, Lord God, you would raise people up and that you would heal even right now as we're praying, Lord. Do a mighty and awesome work, Lord God, in the lives of these people. Lord, whatever they're going through, Lord God, minister to them even right now as we're in your presence, Lord God. God, we want to give you glory, honor, and praise. Lord, your word tells us that we are to come and pray for one another, that we are to lay hands on one another. And Lord, we just pray, God, that you would just be glorified and lifted up because of what you're going to do in the lives of these people, Lord God, that we're laying hands on right now. And we thank you, Jesus, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, bless you guys. Thank you guys for praying. Continue to pray. And as the Lord heals, we want to hear praise reports um, of what God is doing. As we prepare our hearts for the Word, as we have prayed for one another, let us just take just a moment and just ask that the Lord just minister to you 
in the quietness that you would just pray for you, that God would open up your heart and as you're praying for you, pray for me as I deliver this message. Father, again, we're grateful that we can call out to you and that we uh, can be in your presence. Lord, your spirit was already waiting for us as we got here. I know that because we're opening up your word, you're ready to speak. And I pray that my brothers and sisters would be ready to listen and that you would just help me to deliver um, your word with boldness and conviction and that, God, you would just, uh, just be glorified in everything, Lord, in our lives that you would change us and encourage us and challenge us and do all those things, Lord. And even as we think of tomorrow for the high school uh, and the students, Lord, we lift that up to you, Jesus. We pray that even next week, Lord God, as we prepare for a family night, that God, you would prepare all the food and take care of everything that's needed so people can come and be blessed, Lord. We thank you for tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, after having some time of prayer last week, I was just so blessed, honestly, last week and the National Day of Prayer that um, just the, the time that we had as a body praying, praying for our nation, praying for our families, praying for, for just the church, the church of God and our church in particular. But uh, I was just so blessed to be able to just uh, be in this time of prayer with you guys. And so we get back into the book of Acts. Um, and we find ourselves in, in Paul's third missionary journey. Um, and it's different from the first two journeys that he had in the sense that, I mean, he traveled a, a lot. The first one, he didn't travel as much as the second and third. And the fourth, well, he's going to be a prisoner. They call it a missionary journey because he's used, he's on mission wherever he goes. But he's going to be going as a prisoner up to, to Rome. But the second and the third missionary journeys, he, he goes and he visits just about every city that he visited before on the third one, on the, uh, that he visited, that he stopped on the second, he visited on the third. And, um, and yet we don't get a lot of detail on this missionary journey. Not like we, got, we, we had in the second missionary journey. Every time he stopped somewhere, we, we heard about what happened. And, and yet in the third missionary journey, we're just kind of getting tidbits of, of, of stops that he made along the way. And yet we know that God is faithful that whenever his people are somewhere, he will use them. If they put themselves out there, if he, if, if he opens up doors that we are to go through. And I can guarantee you, wherever you find yourself, God will always open up a door for you to share. It's just that sometimes we're just a little chicken to open up our mouths and put yourselves out there. But when we do, you start seeing things happen. You start seeing God move. And so the, the difference in this third missionary journey is that it kind of revolves in the city of Ephesus. Because when he took off from Syria, from Antioch and Syria, it tells us that he touched certain areas, but he got to Ephesus. And as we've learned that, that he was in Ephesus for about three years, 
And we're going to see him on the move once again. And he's going to travel quite a bit in these, what, 16 verses that we're going to cover today. He, he covers a lot of land, but we hear hardly anything of what happened. And, we, and you know that it took time. We, we, we are going to hear that at one point it, 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 he stayed in one place for three months. But like I said last time, or whenever it was, what I like about Paul is that he did put himself out there. And he wasn't afraid to go to a city like Ephesus that was dark, that was perverted, and that was occultish. There was a lot of these things going on and he wasn't afraid to go. And he ends up staying there for three years. All of a sudden he had this heart and this desire to stay there with the people. Granted, people were getting saved. The church was growing. God was doing an awesome work. But he wasn't just being surrounded by Christians. He was, even though he was fellowshipping with them, and we're going to talk a lot about fellowship tonight, although he was surrounded by them, he put himself out there. Whenever he had the opportunity to go outside the church, he went. And I'm sure he took people with them. And I shared with you guys a while back, or whenever it was, um, that even though we are to separate ourselves from the world, we are to be separate from the world, we are not to isolate ourselves from the world. Because if we isolate ourselves from the world, how are they ever going to hear? Now, you've got to be careful when you, when you go put yourself out there that you don't do what they do. In the sense that all of a sudden it's like, well, shoot, you look just like the world. There has to be that line, that defining line that separates you from the world. But we cannot isolate ourselves. A prime example is Jesus. He wasn't even of this world. He came into this world. He came to his people, but he never isolated himself. Oh, he went away and prayed and did all those things. But when it was time to be out there, he put himself out there. And so people need to hear the gospel. Please, please, please do not isolate yourself. Pray for opportunities to be out there. Because he did spend so much time in Ephesus, he had a special place in his heart for the church there. He sent Timothy there when things weren't going great in that church. And that often happens, you know, as the church begins to grow, there's situations and problems. And he had such a heart for them that he sent somebody who had a heart just like his, Timothy, to go and minister. And even though Timothy was timid and he was... You know, like wanting to leave, he encouraged them to stay. Again, a perverted city, a dark city, an occultish city. He's going, don't leave. <laughs> they need you there. Not only the church, but the other people need you there. He also wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus. Probably one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's just rich. And if you haven't read Ephesians lately... More homework. Do Ephesians too. After you've done like Matthew. Go to Ephesians. One day Matthew, one day Ephesians. Whatever. Paul's time in, Ephes- in Ephesus wasn't easy. But it was good. It was rich. It was fruitful. 
And granted, even though the majority of the city, which was about 300,000 at the time, even though the majority of the people did not get saved, so many people heard the word and they were without excuse. Because of Paul and because of the disciples, because of the church, the, the gospel was spread throughout, of, throughout Asia Minor there. The church struggled. It had its struggles. But God had the glory. And the interesting thing is that even though that church doesn't exist today, we still read about it. We're still blessed because of it. We still be, are, are able to glean from it. Because God thought it important enough to place it in his word so that we can study it 2,000 years later and learn. And so Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself and embraced them and departed to go to Macedonia. And when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words he came to Greece and staying three months and stayed three months and when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria he decided to return through Macedonia and Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia and Aristarchus and Secundus, Secundus of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia, these men went ahead, waited for us in Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in the window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep and he was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him and embraced him and said, do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come in and broken bread and eaten, he talked a long while until daybreak he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. We'll stop right there, and we'll go into verse 16 a little bit. After the uproar that had happened, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we went over that uproar that, that was happening over the goddess Diana and the temple and all that was going on and the people that were coming against Paul. And even though Paul was, was, was protected from not being in that crowd that wanted to do him harm, 
his heart wanting to be out there and talk to the people because to him, he's thinking there's a, there's a group of people who want to go talk to them. They're going, if you go out there, they're going to kill you. And I'm pretty sure his heart was going, I don't care. I want to go preach the gospel. And they're saying it won't be safe for you. So they kind of protected him and they, they took other people in. And it's quite possible that after the, the, the uproar, the near riot that took place there in Ephesus, that Paul figured that now it was the best time to leave. He wasn't running from the situation, but I'm sure he had this, this thought that if he was to stay, it, it might cause more trouble for the church. And not that he was leaving them high and dry, but he had placed and had taught for three years there, and he had, he had taught the people. He knew that they would be okay. <laughs> He, he had raised up elders and leaders, and we're going to see that at the end of this chapter, which is an amazing portion of Scripture. I can't wait. But be that as it may, he was comfortable with himself leaving. Because one of the things about Paul, he never made things about himself. He, he, he didn't say, well, heck, I'm the one that started it. I've been here for the, so long. I don't care what happens. I'm going to stay here. No, he, he was out for the betterment of everybody else. He didn't want to bring any more harm to the people. And so for him, it was the best thing for him to do was to continue on on this third missionary journey. He had been there long enough. And it was time for him to move. He, 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 he would have been successful, I think, even if he stayed, but, but his heart was to move on. And he had wisdom enough to move on. And some people might say, well, he just kind of left. It's like, no. His heart was to be there and to raise them up, but I don't think his heart was always to stay there. He, he, Paul wasn't that type. I'm the type that doesn't like to move. I, I want to be in one place forever if I can. My heart is not like Paul's in that aspect. Since 1962, I've only lived in four houses. I don't move a lot. And so Paul, Paul thought, well, best time. With all that has happened in my life, I'm ready to go. And I love verse 1. As you look at the love that is being expressed in this fellowship that he's leaving. He grew to know the people and to love the people and the people loved him. And that says a lot about Paul. Paul was not this standoffish kind of guy. He wasn't the type that came out from the green room, preached his message and went off and was like, I can't talk to these peeps. I can't talk to the regular folks because I'm the Apostle Paul. He wasn't that type. He made himself known to the people and they loved him. And, and he put himself out there for them. And I'm sure being out there with them on a regular basis, there was times that he got hurt and there was times that, that, that he got excited. There was times that all these things because he was an emotional guy even though he was a tough, tough man. I love the fact that he calls the disciples to himself. And it means that he was going to give them some final words of warning, consolation, urging, and encouragement. He wasn't just going to cry and leave. He was going to kind of give them some last instructions, just like a good dad would. <laughs> 
But it says that he embraced them as well. And I like that about Paul because Paul was a hugger. I like that. He's a hugger, man. That word embrace means to enfold in the arms. To enfold in the arms when one is being welcomed and one, when one is saying farewell. There's this good, heartfelt hug. One of the things about the body of Christ and the fellowship that we should have is that we need to be close to one another. Now, I understand not everybody is a hugger. People like their personal space. Not everybody's like, oh. They come into a church and like, don't, t- don't touch me. Don't touch me. I've known guys that forever is like, I'm not a hugger. It's like, come here. You know, and I'm the type that is like, come on. And, and I'll hold on to them and I'll tell them, hug me like you love me. Come on. You know, and sometimes it gets a little creepy and sometimes it looks a little awkward. But I am just that type. <laughs> Back in, in many cultures, that, that is so normal to, to hug and to kiss, you know, to, to kiss on this side and that side. When, when we're down in Ecuador, it's like, oh, man, everywhere you go, it's like you don't even like touch, you know, you just like a little air kiss. But it's, it's so customary to do that. And I know we don't do that here. And it's weird because when we come back, our team, we kind of look at each other because we do that with the team down there. You know, the guys don't do it with guys, but you know what I'm saying. But, but you go and, and we get back to the States and we look at each other like, eh, we can't do it now. But it's such a good custom because it's, it, there's just this affection. And I think, I mean, and, and it's without all of that area, but I think throughout the family of God, we should be able to do that with one another. Now, not to get creepy or to get awkward or to get like crazy, whatever, but there should be affection flowing from the body of Christ. I, I truly believe that. And I, and I see this here and I think, Lord, thank you that, 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 that again, you kind of show us that, that these men and these couples or these people were embracing. Paul, oftentimes when he finishes off a letter, he says, greet each other with a holy kiss. And again, I mean, I've, because I was a youth pastor for so long, we'd have to tell kids, give each other a holy high five because boys are little creepers at that time too. And it's like, they want to hug all the girls. It's like, no, you can't hug no more. Gosh. <laughs> but it should be something that is so innocent and, and loving. And, and, and so, so I, I love the fact that, that he kind of throws that in there because as a family of God, we should be close. There should be a closeness that comes with being part of this family. Listen, guys, I know we we love our biological families, but they're not all going to be with us. (laughs) These three people are biological. But anyway, I, I know that we love our biological families, but we're not going to spend eternity with all our biological families. That's just a sad reality. But we will spend eternity with brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, man, pray for your biological families that they come to Christ, that that you can spend eternity with them. But the reality is that we might not spend eternity with them. And so the, the Apostle Paul grew fond of these people And it was an emotional time when he was leaving. And so he departed, it says, to Macedonia, which 
which again, he was in Asia Minor where, again, if you have your maps, it's where Turkey would be at now. But, but he sails up and he goes across the Asian Sea and he comes over to Philippi, where again, he had been there for his second missionary journey. A church started there, was flourishing. He writes a book to them. Not at that moment, but he writes a book to them. It, it, it was close to his heart there. And so as he gets there, and I'm sure there was some embracing going on as he got there, because it had been several years, probably close to five years since he had been there. And Paul's heart was always to encourage the brethren. And again, not much detail is given to us here, but he, I'm sure he stopped and he visited Philippi, and he stopped and visited Thessalonica and Berea and I could guarantee you even though he passed and he didn't have much success in Athens I am sure that he passed through Athens and touched base with maybe some of the people that were still there and we're not given much detail of what happened in those cities but it's hard for me to imagine that he just kind of passed by and didn't say hi to anybody because that's, that wasn't Paul he loved having fellowship with the brothers and sisters in Christ. He loved being around them. There was something that, 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 was, that, that drew him to, to people like that. I mean, he was an evangelist for sure. He, he had a heart to see people come to Christ, but he had a, such a pastor's heart. And those were his sheep. Those were the people that had come to Christ under his ministry, and he had a heart for them. And so I'm sure he touched base with all these people. He ministered to them. And I'm sure because he was on foot all the time, he needed time to rest. And I'm sure everybody would come and stay with me, Paul. You've got to stay with us. Being hospitable to him. And so I'm sure being tired and needing rest, the brothers and sisters of those churches accommodated him and took care of him. But it says that he went through that region and he came down to Greece which would be Achaia, Macedonia, Achaia. And then coming from there, he had to, again, probably pass through Athens, but he came to to Corinth. And that's where he stayed for three months. Now, it's interesting because as he's traveling through those areas, some of the commentators were saying that in that time frame, he wrote 2 Corinthians. Or he wrote a lot about what in Second Corinthians about that trip. I'm sorry, but when he got to Rome or to 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 Corinth, that is where he wrote the book or the letter to the Romans. And in that three months, he had time enough to write this letter to the Roman Christians. And so Paul, wanting to leave and go back to Syria to his home church getting to the port of Corinth to sail back, somehow he found out that there was a plot to kill him. There was a plot to come against him. And as one commentator put it, it's quite possible they just wanted to kill him and throw him overboard once they got sailing. And so he decided, well, I guess I'll just backtrack. I'll go back through the land. His heart was to get back to Jerusalem in time for the Passover. And that wasn't going to happen. So when he comes back up, he he reaches 
um, Philippi, and that's where he spends Passover, the, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. But it's interesting because he, there, there's a mention of about seven guys here. I don't want to rename them. I had a hard time practicing this whole week. <laughs> Man. But these guys, these guys are mentioned as representatives from different churches, from different areas there. And most believe that these guys were carrying some support, some financial support to go back to Jerusalem, to give to the church of Jerusalem, because by now the church of Jerusalem was struggling. They were going through a lot. And these guys would be bringing support and they would also be traveling with Paul. And I thought, man, Paul was going to love this. He was going to dig it because he would be in constant fellowship with these brothers. Whether he, he, he knew them before, he was going to get to know them. And, and as I was thinking of all these guys, I'm wondering if some of these guys several years earlier had come to know Christ when he first came around, when the church first got started. And even if they didn't, they always knew who Paul was because he was the one that came and started the churches there. And so they had this heart for Paul and now they were going to be able to travel with them and be a companion to him. And even though they were going to cross over the Asian Sea and be at Troas and he was going to meet them there, they were still going to travel together. And again, I'm just thinking, there is going to be fellowship tonight. There will be fellowship throughout this whole time. And I could guarantee you, because some of these guys are named in some of his books, he became friends with them forever. They were like BFFs. Forever. Well, I think that's like double positive. Or something. I don't know, I'm learning these things. And so it tells us that they, in verse 6, sailed and got from Philippi, to Troas, and there they kind of rendezvoused. They met up with, with Paul there. And I like the fact that in Troas, there's going to be some amazing worship and fellowship going on. Because from verses 6 through 8, it tells us that after the unleavened bread had, had passed, that they had gotten there, that after they had gotten to this place, that on the first day of the week, they came together. It kind of gives us a, a little glimpse here of how the church was functioning. These, these verses from, from 6 to, to, to 12, it gives us a little glimpse of how the early church functioned. It tells us that they got together on the first day of the week, not on the seventh day of the week. The seventh day of the week was the Sabbath. That was Saturday. First day of the week is a Sunday. The first day of the week, the, 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 the early church began to meet on that day because that is the day that Jesus resurrected from the dead. They were beginning to distinguish themselves from the Jewish people. Although some of them were still keeping some of the, the, the traditions of the Jewish people, they started separating themselves. They would often go to synagogue and to prayer meetings and, or prayer times and all those things, but they made this break that on the, on the first day of the week they would get together. And more than likely, they got together at midday or in the evening because the first day of the week was not a day off like we have, most of us. First day of the week was a work day. 
Saturday, because of the Jewish population in so many countries, so many people took the Sabbath day off. But the first day of the week was a regular day for most of the people. So the church, the early church, would probably meet at midday or in the evening. They didn't have the day off. And part of their gathering consisted of coming together and, and, and the word fellowship is, is communion and, and having that, those things in common that they would break bread together. They would have communion service. They would remember the Lord's death until He came. They had communion. And it was a special time for them. Now I know that some churches have communion every Sunday or whenever they get together and some don't. But we're never really told when you're to do it. It just says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that as often as you do it, you remember the Lord's death till He comes. So we're not given like specifics of when to do it. We're just to do it often. We set aside the first Sunday of the month to have communion. And every once in a while on a Thursday night, we'll change things up and we'll have communion. Next Thursday night, we'll have communion. It doesn't tell us when you should or when you shouldn't. It doesn't mean that you'll, you can only have it at church. You can have it at home. You can have it every day if you want. You can have it with your friends whenever you get together. You could have communion all the time. You don't need a pastor or an elder or somebody or a leader to lead in communion. You could have communion any time. But one of the things that I would say is that don't make it come, become routine. Don't make it be religious to where there's no specialness to it anymore. I know that I've even wrestled with the once a month thing that we do. It's people who are like, what do you mean? You're going to change it? It's like, I just don't want it to become religion. I don't want it to become rote. I don't want it to be like, oh, this is what we do all the time. And so I, I think of, and so we do it differently all the time, it seems like. And that's probably for me because I don't want to fall into a trap of this is what we do and this is how we do it. Now, there are those who would say that every time we get together, we should be having communion. And I would say then we should go until midnight all the time, too. (laughs) It's like, oh, well, wait a minute. Again, Acts is not telling us and giving us doctrine here. He's just telling us this is what happened in the early church and how they did things. Doesn't mean that we have to do it exactly like they did. The church met in the upper room, it says. They probably at that point didn't have buildings either. There was still a lot of opposition coming against them and so they met at people's houses. And here it says that they met in an upper room, probably somebody's house. And the upper room, as I was reading about these, these times, that the upper room was usually the largest room. And so they met up in the upper room. And I'm sure they met on a regular basis. But man, the Apostle Paul was in town. And him being in town, he had the honor of sharing with them and speaking with them. And I'm sure they were so glad to have him there. Now, what's interesting about this little story here is that it shows us for sure the power of God and how He works in and through people. 
And, and as I was looking at this, I'm thinking, man, it, it's hard to kind of believe that anybody would fall asleep on, on the Apostle Paul. But it just goes to show you that it happens to the best of them. Okay? <laughs> you know the bad thing about it, being up here? I can see everything, and I know people are sleeping. And it's like, you know, and I feel, it's like, I don't take it personal. If I could give you a good little nap, I'll give you a good little nap. You know, I'm okay with it. You know, I understand. I've been there. I mean, there's times that I just want to fall asleep on myself while I'm teaching. That would be, like, horrible. That the pastor is, like, tired of himself speaking. Now, I really don't want to make excuses for what happens here. Because we see this young man falling asleep. But there was probably a lot of people in this room. The Apostle Paul's in town. The room has all these lamps and candles going on, and so I'm sure it was stuffy with all that was going on as well. Again, it was a work day. And and Eutychus, it's quite possible, it says that he's a young man. Some commentators say he was probably from 24 to 40. Some people, because there's a different Greek word in verse 12 about the young man, that maybe he was a young lad, that maybe he was 8 to 14 it could be that he was a young kid or a young slave, and so he had a hard day's work. Be that as it may, the guy is a little tired. <laughs> and and, and we'll, we'll, we know that it's late because he says it's going on to midnight. But we've got to give him some props here because he goes and sits by the window. I'm sure he's going, I need some air. I need to stay awake. And so he goes and sits by this window, and you would think that the other people were kind of keeping an eye on him, especially if he's a young kid. Hey, third story, sitting by the window. There's no glass. Be careful. But none of that happened. <laughs> and so what I've, I guess I'm trying to say that this, people fall asleep in church. It happens to the best of us. I mean, when, before I was up here and I was down there, I wouldn't. I hardly ever sat. I stood in the back because I realized if I fall asleep, it's going to hurt. This one, this one hurt. <laughs> fall asleep on a windowsill in the third story, it's going to hurt. The guy comes up dead. And again, it's like the fact that this story is in here. I'm thinking it doesn't matter if you have a dynamic speaker. Teacher, pastor, people get tired, especially on Thursday nights. <laughs> I'll do a little song and dance, keep you awake, do something. It's tiring. I, I understand that. But thank God we're not on the third story and there is no windows in this building. <laughs> and no candles. <laughs> yeah. There is lights coming down right here. But there's something to be said for short messages. <laughs> this does not go long. <laughs> now, some would say, was, well, was he really dead or only mostly dead? <laughs> well, this is what I would say. This is what I would say. Because Luke is now counting himself as being part of this party, Luke was a doctor. And I'm sure if he was only mostly dead, he would have told us, well, he wasn't really dead. He was just knocked out for a while. But, but Luke is there, and he says that he's dead. 
And so I believe that he was truly dead. And all you can do is just go through his pockets and look for loose change. But, <laughs> Princess Bride thing. I, I hope you guys understand that. I'm not like being cruel. But anyways, but once again, Paul puts himself out there. He is teaching this message and he puts himself out there and he runs out of the, he stops his study and he goes down there to go see about this young man, sees that he's dead and again puts himself out there and falls on him or embraces him, picks him up and he says, don't worry. His life is in him. He goes down there and brings him back from the dead. He just, he just does that and it's reminiscent of what Elijah does Elijah and Elijah, who both raised young kids from the dead by, by, by laying on them or embracing them. And life comes back into them. And I'm just thinking, whoa. Paul, Paul again, he's just like not giving up. He's been traveling. He's been doing all these things. And he is not tired of ministry. I think it just kind of excited him that he was around people all the time. And so when this kid dies, he's, he's not afraid to go down there and say, he's going he's gonna to live, he's alive, don't worry. God's going to heal him, God's going to touch him. Again, there's this fellowship that's going on. He has a deep concern for, for the people that he's ministering to. And he's willing to pour himself out even in that. And so once he's done, they go and break bread. They have communion. And then he says that they ate together. So they were having a potluck. They were having communion. He was speaking. Seems like a feeling family fellowship next week. (laughs) See what happens. But even as all that happens, he continues on till daybreak. I was just thinking, people are hardcore. I mean, people get upset. It's like, Zeke, it's almost like 8.30. You're almost going to be done, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> again I don't want anybody like totally falling asleep and dying on me but Eutychus, Eutychus is is back in fellowship after being dead he's back in fellowship and the people are so excited he may have felt a little embarrassed but people were comforted and rejoicing over this whole thing and what we have in Troas here is a great time of fellowship. A great time of, 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 of being together, and that's the way it's supposed to be, guys. I know that, again, people come and people are tired, but we should desire to be in fellowship with one another. It's important that we stay in fellowship. It's important that, that we desire to be with other people, not just so we can get from them, but that we can give to them. Paul was always willing to give and pour himself out to the people. His heart was, was to always give and give and give. And I'm sure when he showed up, people took care of him and they, they, they ministered to him. And he thought like, no, I want to give more to you. And so he was willing even to preach all night. And I know that even when we come together in, in fellowship, it's not always going to be perfect. Things are going to happen. It's not going to be always exciting. Unexpected things will be will happen. But being able to fellowship with one another, being able to be there for one another and to encourage one another, 
That should always be happening, one way or another. Even like we prayed earlier for one another. My hope and my prayer is that when we, we disband from fellowship here, that you continue to pray for your brothers and sisters. That you have them on your heart, on your mind. I know some of you guys, it's like, man, I've been coming, I don't really know anybody. Man, put yourself out there a little bit. Put yourself out there and introduce yourself to people. There's people here, you, you have stuff to offer to them because of just fellowship with one another. At the end of it, that God get the glory for everything. That God gets the glory. When we pray for somebody, whether God heals at that moment or not, God gets the glory. That, that, that we meet somebody, God gets the glory. That, 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 that good things happen, God gets the glory. Bad things happen, we can still glorify God. That's what should be happening in fellowship. It's interesting because they're going to leave and go to other places, and yet Paul desires to hang out with them. But before I go to and read those verses, let me, let me read to you from Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. As I was thinking about this, this kept on coming up, and I thought, well, I just want to read it to you guys. Colossians three fourteen to 17. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God our, the Father through Him. That is what we should be doing to one another and with one another. That when we come into fellowship, that our hearts desire, whether in word or deed, that we would give thanks to God for all, but that we would minister to one another. Verse 13 to 16. And we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos. So intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Assos, he took, we took him on board and came to Mytilion. We sailed from there, and the next day we came opposite Chios, and following the following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium. And the next day, we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus <clears throat> so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. It was about a 30 mile, 20 mile south from, from, um, oh geez, from where they were at, where they landed, Troas, to Assos. And they would have to sail around and come to Assos or come down. And he said, well, you guys get on the ship and go around and I'll meet you there. I want to have more fellowship with the people of Troas as they walk with me, as they spend time with me, as they, 
They, they, they have fellowship with me. Again, it just Paul wanted this time with these peeps and to, to minister to them and be there for them. His heart was to be back in Jerusalem. And he didn't want to go into Ephesus because, I don't know, maybe he just felt like, man, if I go, I'm never going to leave there. But his heart was to get back. And so he goes to Miletus. And from verse 17 to the end of the chapter is an epic, epic time that he will have with the leaders of Ephesus because he's going to call for them. Some more homework. Read the rest of the chapter. (laughs) Guys, our heart's desire, whether we stay here or we travel abroad, whether God moves us from here, going to somewhere else, find fellowship, be in fellowship. So many people move and they get dried up because they can't, they don't have fellowship. If you're ever thinking of moving from here, shame on you first of all, but if you ever want to move from here, make sure that wherever you're going to go, there's a fellowship, a healthy fellowship, a fellowship that is preaching the word of God. Because so many people move and they're like, oh, dying. Oh, we need a church. It's like, why did you go there? Because of the beauty? There ain't no beauty if, if, if there's no fellowship that goes along with it. Some people might not think that, that feeling is beautiful, but like Jim was describing earlier, man, there's a certain beauty up here. But I'll tell you what's more beautiful, you. <laughs> you, the peeps. This is fellowship. This is what, what, what keeps us or should keep us going because we're one. Amen? Amen? I love you guys. Let's stand and we'll pray before you guys fall asleep on me. <laughs> Father in heaven, as as we thank you so much, Lord, just for the time of being able to come together. Lord, you have allowed us the privilege of being part of a family. Lord, many of us, Lord God, even though we love dearly our, our biological families, Lord, and some of them are walking with you and we praise God for that. Lord, those who are not, Lord God, those who are still fighting against you, Lord, we pray for them. Give us boldness, Lord, to come alongside of them, Lord. Lord, oftentimes they just shut us out, Lord God. And so we pray that, God, you would bring other other believers into their lives, that they might come into the family of God. But I thank you, Lord, also for my brothers and sisters here, Lord. Lord, these are the people, Lord God, that you have called us to be together with forever. Lord, that we would desire to be there for one another. Lord, even as family, Lord, we sometimes hurt one another, Lord, but you have told us in your word that we are to forgive and to love. Help us, Lord, in those areas, Lord, with our brothers and sisters. And I thank you, Lord God, for the time that we have together as we worship, as we pray for one another, as we share your word, Lord, as we break bread together, Lord, that, God, we would continue the things that we learned from from the Acts of the Apostles back then. And so we thank you so much for, for this evening, Lord. I pray your hand to be upon our brothers and sisters, Lord. And if there's anyone here, Lord, who truly doesn't know you, Lord, and they know that right now, God, capture their hearts. Lord, get them out of their seat, Lord God, so they can come and accept you, Lord. Lord, you love them so much and you want to invite them into fellowship, communion with you, Lord, intimacy. And so, Lord, capture their hearts, I ask. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.